0: Well, I've never seen such a room full of friends in my life. My name is Art, I'm an alcoholic. (laughs) Because because I am and am a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, I do have these friends. I look around the room here, and there's very few people I haven't sat in the meeting with. And that makes me feel really wonderful. You know, uh, i got a whole list of stuff that I want to talk about. And if I get to three or four of them, I'll probably be lucky. <laughs> but um, alcoholism is an illness, as we keep being told. A lot of us doubt there. We think it's all in our head. But uh, there's something happens to us when we become alcoholic, and that uh, we cannot drink without some real bad things happening to us. And it's a strange illness, you know. Everybody's got a lot of reasons why why we become alcoholic. You know, I'll tell them I'm an alcoholic. You know, and was it my mother or what have uh, it Lynn Carroll the guy that ran the treatment center that I went to in his talk he says I wasn't knocked in my head with a feather to get become an alcoholic I became alcoholic because I drank alcohol and I know from observation and from think of my own life that anybody can become alcoholic all they have to do is drink alcohol for a long enough period of time. And they will become alcoholic. But uh, that's the way it happened to me, anyway, because I didn't get to this program until I was 47 years old. Now, I was kind of stubborn, but, you know, I uh, just didn't think that I had a problem with alcohol. Everything else was the way it was. <clears throat> I grew up in a, a good Irish Catholic family in Canada. Uh, my parents didn't drink when I was young, but they they drank later on. And, you know, there was alcohol in our home. Uh, we had alcohol, beer or something you know, for parties and that sort of thing. But, uh, um, you know, I, I try to think back. That, you know, I'm sure I tasted alcohol when I was a kid, just sipping a drink here or there and that and thing. But I was also told when he came around this program that you know. We need to remember the first drink and the last drink. And um, I can remember quite vividly my first drink, and I mean by the first drink, the one that gave me the buzz that made me want to continue drinking. Uh, I had been taking piano lessons at the insistence of my mother. Um, and the piano teacher, a guy by the name of Eddie Vesna, and his brother had a camp that they were putting together for boys. And they needed some staff, you know, so he, he put the arm on me to, to come out and help him with it. He didn't promise to pay anything, but he said, well, I'll give you three meals a day, and I'll give you money, you know. And I was about 17, or maybe 18. Uh, anyway, we, we get up there, we put up these tents, and... Uh, uh, for the kids, and there was one big tent with the dining area, and it was full of mattresses and things to put around. and We did a pretty heavy day. Somebody, there was must have been fifteen or twenty of us there, you know. Somebody brought a, out a bottle of booze and, and started passing it around. I thinking, you know, they're not going to pass it to me, you know. As, you know, but they did. They passed one to me, and I took a swig of it and passed it around until so the bottle was gone, you know. And it gave me a glow. I'll never forgotten that glow. And I chased it so long. You know, I was about 17 or 18, you know, 47. I finally found out, what it was killing me. But that's what I was chasing, that feeling. There was a young lady there that had, you know, she was well-endowed, and I thought she was kind of cute, and I ended up chasing her. <laughs> chasing around the room they all thought that was funny to them. I never did get to them. <laughs> but you know that's, that's the kind of thing that got me started on this thing. and then we, they took me to a tavern while I was there and I had a beer and I can still remember the smell actually it was ale probably but the smell of the, the beer or ale and the atmosphere just made me happy that was the way I wanted things well, a year or so later, I joined the navy. It was wartime, and uh, I uh, was too young to get a totter rum. The Canadian navy used to give you a totter rum at eleven o'clock. And I was too young for that. I had to wait until I was nineteen, and. Uh, they gave me choice then. They could have a pot of rum or six cents a day, but well, you know what I told <laughs> you. Uh, the first ship I was on was a um, Fairmount, which was a motor launch to patrol duty in the Newfoundland area. And um, the the uh, uh, regulations for the talk was you had to drink it in front of an officer. You know, you get up there and you drink it. But... Uh, they let the regulations slip a little bit. We used to take it down the mess deck and fill up a, a fifth bottle of it. another guy and I. And when it got about three-quarter full, we sit down and have ourselves a little party. Um, and that was the way things went with me as far as the Navy was concerned. I ran, had my first blackout when I was in the Navy. And uh, I remember waking up i back on board ship. I hadn't got a clue how I got there. And I was covered with uh, sickness. And it was a mess. <laughs> and and uh, I had a lot of nights like that in the next couple of years while I was in the Navy. Um, when I left the Navy, I went back to school. And my weekend. Uh, soldiers at partied in, um, I just didn't apply myself well enough. I didn't quite finish uh, the, they had a, uh, what they called a DBA, uh, I think it was called it, we, it uh, gave us education for, a month of education for a month of service. And so I had enough to have four years of uh, engineering education, and I, Plunked out of my second year and uh, decided i go back and try it again and gave up. Yeah. And I went to work. I drank on weekends and uh, well, actually, when I was working on that job up in Northern Ontario I drank every day. But, you know, it, my memory's kind of sloppy. Um, Fast forward to uh, getting married, moving to the United States. I uh, got a job in Canada and got the the opportunity to move to the United States. And uh, I came down here and and, uh, my alcohol consumption was down to uh, very rarely. But as I became better uh, at my job and had a more important, quotation marks, uh, position, I... Had the opportunity to do some drinking, and I drank I had every opportunity. Actually, I rarely got drunk, uh, but I drank a lot. And uh, my children grew up. We moved to Gary when they were about um, three and four, and uh, we moved out of Gary when they were out of high school. And. Uh, but during that period of time is when my alcoholism grew because we, I got into some habits. The habit of having a lunchtime drink, the habit of having a cocktail before dinner, and the habit of having party at every opportunity. And I always have a case of beer around for the chores when you're working during the weekend, you know? And I just kept uh, drinking and drinking and drinking. Now, I didn't get into any serious trouble ever. I didn't get picked up by the cops. I didn't get any DUIs. I just simply was lucky, I guess. And uh, I was until the latter part of my drinking, I was kind of one of those happy drunks. I could, you know, talk mm-hmm. somebody into almost anything. I was drinking. I lost all my inhibitions and was able to talk fluently and do things that I couldn't do when I was sober. And, uh, so it was kind of a crunch for me. Um, I worked in Chicago and lived in Derry and uh, I uh, used to stop at go <clears throat> Chicago's last chance to pick up a um, case of uh, gin a couple of bottles of uh, but, uh, I mean, what do you make martinis with I can't remember anymore <laughs> <laughs> remove <Got it. laughs> <laughs> I'm not away for it too long right anyhow <laughs> 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 <Hey>, uh, <clears throat> I, I remember that I didn't want my family to know how much I was drinking so I would water the damn gin down well, it was pretty easy to do that you know, take a swig or two of gin and throw a little water in it But uh, eventually it got real bad. And uh, one day uh, we were at a gathering a a, a real good friends of ours. We used to play bridge every Friday night. And uh, we were over at their place. And I was being a little bit obnoxious. I guess that's a good word for it. <laughs> and I got my dear wife's ire up. And, you know, you never want to do that. <laughs> she pitched a full glass of beer in my face that night. spread it all over a freshly um, uh, wallpapered room. And uh, uh, she was pretty embarrassed about it. And I was shocked. <laughs> <laughs> But I got over it. (laughs) uh, Everybody laughed, thought it was kind of funny and that sort of thing. But I know Mary's always felt kind of really bad about it, but anyway. um, About that time, one weekend, I came Saturday morning. I knew I was in the doghouse, I could tell by the ice, you know. Mary and my two daughters went shopping, and I picked up the phone, and I called the Hawks Anonymous. Now, I had, had the phone number in my wallet for some time. Now, I don't know why, but, you know, I was reading all these articles, that you see, oh, you know, if you do this, do that, do that, do that, you're probably alcoholic, and I always found something I didn't do, you know. So, <laughs> I never qualified. I called Alcoholics Anonymous and the first thing they wanted to know was my name. You know, I said, well, I knew what Anonymous meant. So, <laughs> <laughs> I said, they wanted to give my name. And they finally said, well, we just need your first name and a we'll phone number. We'll have somebody from the program call you back. It was on a weekend with the an answering service. And, uh, I got a call back. Uh, not too long. It's uh, all about him on Bill. Most, some of you know Bill Hanson. He became my sponsor and he had a Voice that was down way down. You, know. you could hear him a mile away. Bill says, "Well, I'll come over and see it." I said, "No, no, no. I, you know, I, my vision of an alcoholic it was a great coat, a long beard, mismatched shoes, and a shovel. You know, and I didn't want anybody like that walking up my driveway." Exactly, you know. So Bill says, "I'll meet you at the big wheel." I said, okay. How do I know you? He said, never mind. I'll know you. (laughs) (laughs) We have a look at this. But anyway, (laughs) I met Bill, and he told me his story. And he was an alcoholic. (laughs) He had all the attributes of an alcoholic that I had in my head is what you needed to be an alcoholic. You know, he'd been in prison. made alcohol shoe black and all the things that you read about and hear about. Boy, this guy's really got it. You know, I, I, he convinced me that I was not an alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> so he made sure I had his phone number. He had a garage at the corner of Lake Street and Melton Road at the time. And, uh, I uh, would sometimes stop there for gas and just make sure he was still there, I think. I don't know. I don't know, time-wise, when this was, whether it was a year or two years before I eventually stopped drinking. But um, I kept in touch to make sure he was still there, uh, but never called him. Um, As we all know, alcoholism gets worse. And it was getting worse around our home. I was making life really miserable for my family. Not that I was beating them up or doing anything like that, but I was not being a father and, and husband. And, uh, my wife was so concerned about it, she talked to her doctor about it. Because she was a basket case, believe me. Uh, we do that. To the Almanac side of our family. We make real basket cases for our family. Anyhow, uh, he suggested two things to her. One, that I go to Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, two, if you won't go there, try the alcoholic clinic on West Fifth Avenue. Well, she got me in the corner of the kitchen, the dinette where we lived. She and my daughters were sitting there and they were kind of laying down the law to me. you know? yeah. You've got to do something. Why don't you go to Alcoholics Anonymous? I said, I tried that, I called them, they don't, they don't know what the hell they're talking about. <laughs> well, will you go to Alcoholics, the clinic on and put that And, you know, just to get her off my back, I said, okay. So I went down to this clinic on foot that I've been mean, signed up and we sat in a circle and they tried to talk like you do at an AA meeting and it, you know, stole my head. And, um, uh, the doctor that was assigned to this clinic prescribed some uh, Valium for me. And, um, I, I, I had, you know, it's strange that as much as I drank and as long as I drank, I had a real fear of drugs. That just is out of this world to me. It still is, as a matter of fact, but uh, at that time, you know, uh, drugs were fearful. But I went to the druggist in Miller, and, and uh, the guy there, they ran the drugstore, that knew me, and he refilled the prescription, and he said something like this, All right, be careful, these things can do a job on you, or something like that. I said, okay. And I took a couple of those pills, I didn't like the way they made me feel and being fearful of it, I dumped them down the side. Now, I went to these meetings, I think, about five, six weeks. I can't remember. I don't remember. I found a record where I I, um, uh, was to have an appointment there on the 7th of January, 1970. uh, uh, But anyway, I I, um, went to this... uh, meeting once a week and uh, we stop on the way home have a couple of drinks you know it was just it was ridiculous I uh, just couldn't stay away from him. Um, Ross Stanton, the man that was running this guy he was a former youth cop and Gary who has been dead many years but he ran this outfit and he took me to my first A meeting. Again, he got me in a corner. Uh, People had to get me in a corner to get me to agree, but they didn't get off like that. I said, okay. And so um, he wanted to pick me up, and I said, no. I met him at the big wheel, and he took my orders to (coughs) me. Excuse me. It was a Miller, uh, Edna Miller, Miller at the meeting. Uh, um, there were several people in the meeting, one or two, that I knew. One of them just died this week, Bob Evans. And he reached out his hand and said, Welcome, Art, we've been waiting for you. Now <laughs> <laughs> we're over on the red balloon. <laughs> <laughs> but what I've gotten of that meeting, the people were happy, and the one thing I can remember about it is to pass around a coffee cup for the donation, and they wouldn't let me put a buck in it. And I went, oh, That's kind of nice, you know. So I came back. Uh, they called me uh, at least four or five times during the week. Do you want to go to this meeting, that meeting, and I said, No, I'm too busy. But I went to that meeting for five, six weeks, and I did not drink. I had put it all together by myself. And uh, <clears throat> my job was construction, and we were putting bids together. And we used to work long hours doing that, sometimes through the night. And uh, But this uh, five, six week, had enabled me to get things straight, straightened around home a little bit, so that I could arrange a vacation up in Door County, and so it, it, we had the bid to go in on Monday or Tuesday. I can't remember exactly what day. And I took the family up to Door County, and then went back to Chicago to work on this. We had a room to, to put the bid together, and. Uh, I used to say that I took my uh, last, started my last drunk after the bit. But looking at my little, I have a diary that I kept, and I used to keep a little. You know, I wouldn't want to write that. Didn't drink today, or drank today. I didn't write that. I had a little diary. One, two, three. It would be one first day, second day, three days. And X, 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 X means I think. <laughs> well, during this springtime, I got up to 30 days. You know, that was before I got to my first AA meeting. I'm getting things all screwed up here somewhere. But anyway, <laughs> uh, I would try to get through, you know, more days, or more than one day at a time. Anyway, uh, after the bid, we went to a restaurant. It was a it was a country club, had all the nice trimmings, you know, linen tablecloth and the silverware whatever. And we always what we did was usually have a nice big dinner, a few drinks, go home and catch up on our sleep. Um, it was my intention to have a nice dinner and pay for Dora County. And the waitress came around and said, uh, what do you have? And I said, a martini on the rocks with a twist. And the minute I said it, I knew I should not have that. But the next thought that came into my mind was, one won't hurt me. I had that one and another one and then headed for Door County. It lit the fire. I thought it going down. I got feeling good, and every bar I, I... I didn't stop at too many bars because I'd stop for one and stay for twelve. That's what happened. I stopped there. On roads I'd never been on in my life, you know. I, I, it took me about eight hours to do a three-hour drive. But uh, it was the most miserable holiday that the family ever had, I guess, because I was out of it for the whole time. I got back to work. And I was still out of it, you know. I just couldn't seem to catch it. Couldn't seem. I went. I even made novenas. I was a Catholic, and I had novenas. I used to make novenas whenever I wanted something. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, sometimes it got them, sometimes it didn't. But uh, I made a a novena, and there was a little old Catholic church of St. Patrick's that around the corner from where I worked in Chicago. And I'd go in there and I'd sit down and pray. As best I could, ask him for help, and uh, I even talked to one of the priests. Uh, he says, "Well, why don't you get with your people?" And I did not know what the hell he was talking about. I guess he was talking about, but I don't know. Um, but I do remember during this time that, um, uh, not quite know, Mary had had enough, and she gave me an ultimatum. Um either you do something, you leave or we leave. You know, that kind of choice, uh, and I think i a choice. And I knew she meant it. Anyway, if you met my wife, that was like she was very straightforward. So I uh, I got on the horn to talk to Bill and asked him, What, what you uh, uh, what can I do? You know, and so he he got, introduced me to a guy down in Chicago uh, that I went to see, in the uh, merchandise mart. found the guy, he took me to lunch, offered me a drink, and I said, no thanks. And he told me a little bit of his story. Uh, he was a guy that was uh, a millionaire, was now selling rugs, mean he, he was in guy feet, or he was but, Uh, As soon as that luncheon was over, around the first corner, I went into the first bar, I got myself a drink. Because I needed that drink. Um, At any rate, uh, sometime during this period of time, I was so desperate, I said, God help me. That's all I said. And right after that saying that, I got a feeling that everything was going to be okay. Now, that lasts about a millisecond, but,
1: you
0: know, I had that feeling. Everything was going to be okay. So, I came, the car was kind of battered up. I'd uh, hit something the night before. I took the train into work, told the boss I was gone take some time off and uh, came back to Gary and I remember I had about 30 cents in my pocket and a return train ticket and I passed the bar in in the station and I could buy a beer for 30 cents and I bought a beer and that was the last time I had I came home and I went through the withdrawal that week I got on my pajamas and sweated, just terrible. I was up and down, I changed the bed clothes two or three times that night, and, and uh, got through the next day. And these guys had promised me they were going to call me and talk to me. Well, they didn't call, they didn't call. They finally called Sunday morning. And we got together um, at the big wheel. Uh, we had Charlie N, who was one of the people there Steve C. Paul Nichols Ken Bellock and uh, I think there might have been somebody else and they threw some options at me you know I could go to Hazleton up in uh, Park Ridge or I could go to uh, um up in Minnesota, or just go to AA meetings. And this Charlie N said, If I was you, I'd go where the man is. And then just something of the way he said it made me decide, Well, why not there? In a place called Lynnville. I said, Okay, I'll go there. Well, he said, Wait a minute, I will see if they'll take you. you know? So they called and arranged for me to be there, and said they'd drive me up there. Well, I, you know, I hadn't lost anything. I still had my two cars, still had a home, and a family, but they were awful close to being gone. And uh, so I flew up there. And, um, you know what they do on airplanes? They serve booze. (laughs) Well, I thought, what am I going to do? And, uh, it was solved for me, because they started serving booze at the other end of the airplane, started serving the Food at my end of the airplane. I had some food in me, and I was able to say no when it came to the to the booze. And of course, I was worried about whether they'd recognize me when they got off the plane. Well, they knew me. I could see this haggard-looking guy, looking like he's hung over for a week or two. And I ended up in Linville for three weeks. Now, it, it was not affiliated with any hospitals. It didn't have any psychiatrists. No doctors. They had one nurse, and they had some doctor check us to make sure we were still breathing. <laughs> and, uh, it was all AA. And we talked about the 12 steps of the alcoholics program for three weeks. You know, I think I arrived there somewhere around step six. I'm not sure. And we went through them a couple of times while I was there. They strongly suggested to me that I take my fourth and fifth step while I was there. And they pointed it out this way, when you get back to your better business world and what you're doing, uh, you may not get around to doing it. And I thought, well, that's a pretty good idea. So I put it off until last week. And I i don't know how I did it, but I finally did what they said to. I mean, I finally followed the instructions. They said, sit down with a pen and a pad of paper and start writing. And that's what I did. And I know you've all written letters. And I know that when you're writing a letter, uh, you think of three or four things to put down on that paper while you're writing one thing. It just seem to pop in your head. That's what happened with me. I was able to put down all the crap that was festering in my head onto that paper. And when I uh, was done, I didn't even look at it. I closed it. The next day, I read over it, read it over, and you know, the fifth step says we talk to God and our, another human being about the exact nature of our wrongs. And I had to look over this thing and see where the hell I was at, and I really wasn't capable of doing this, some kind of a dissection like that. But I went into my fifth step anyway, and there was a, an alcoholic priest there, who I didn't step with. And, um, he helped me. You know, he, he, we didn't talk about all the little nitty-gritty. we tried to find out just what the problem was, you know. And, um, he helped me through that. He helped me do a fifth step that I am still satisfied with. The beautiful part about the fourth and fifth step is we take an evaluation of ourselves, we tell it to somebody, and then we can quit letting it fester in the back of our head. We can get on with doing what the rest of the program says. And that took a lot of work. And it took. I came back to, uh, after that, I'm in, in Linville, and I had a lot of fear. My job was one where I had to entertain people and furnish them drinks and that sort of thing. And, uh, I had to go to parties and that sort of thing. And uh, my sponsor said, well, you know, we suggest that you take somebody with you, you know, that's on the program, or some your wife, or something else, uh, or uh, you know, go early, and leave, uh, go late, leave early, and um, so uh, he suggested "I'll come over and go with you." Well, if anybody's known Bill, that, that alone would scare you sober. <laughs> but, you know, he, he was a, a really rough-looking guy and. Just scared me. <laughs> he and Steve, the two of them. You know. I, uh, I ran scared a lot because I didn't think I could handle it by myself, and I can't handle it by myself. It's an impossibility to handle that, this problem by ourselves. We need the help of alcoholics an and all the people around us. Uh, I eventually got, you know. It was one day I got sober in September. It's one day in July that I realized I hadn't thought about taking a drink. And that was a really a day, one day in my life because, hey, I didn't think about taking a drink today. And I wasn't fighting it like I was. But I was fighting it all those other months, you know. And I was doing what I was told to do. I was told to go to several meetings a week, and to contact AA, and be with AA, and do some readings, and ask God for help in the morning, and thank Him for the day at night. I did all these things, and I still do all these things. You know, today I go to meetings, and you think, "Well, what the hell does he have to be at a meeting?" You know, I don't have to be here. I love being here. Uh, which is what Bill Hansen said today. He took me a meeting to a and and thought he was nuts. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I do. I love being here. But the other reason is I am built, I'm a a human being, and we all have the same problem. We forget pain. Uh, You know, there wouldn't be anybody in any room if the women didn't forget the pain of childbirth. So, pain is something we forget. And I need to be reminded that if I don't do what I'm supposed to do, I will drink again. I have seen it happen with several friends who didn't do what they were supposed to do. Now. It's not the same thing with every individual. But whatever we do, we need to keep doing it to keep sober. Five years after I was on the program, I got an opportunity for a job in Abu Dhabi. The guy that called me he says, "Would well, you like to go to I said What bar are you in?" You know, <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, Bob uh, uh, talked me into trying this job. But it was a it was a, it was a job of speculation over in the Middle East. Uh, I was excited about it since a kid I've always thought about uh, Lawrence of Arabia and all that fun, you know. So I decided that yeah okay I was unhappy with the job I had happy with the way that were going so I said okay and all I had to do was convince my wife and I did that we sold our home and we moved over to Abu Dhabi and I was I was over there about six months until so I ran out of the money they allotted for me but uh, while I was there you know the first thing I realized when I accepted the job was not going what do I do. So I called general service office in New York, and they said, well, all you have to do is give us a letter, and send us a letter, and we'll get you in contact with other AA's. So I did that. I got over there, I, I did that, and I got a lot of uh, um, letters from my groups. At the time, I had, was active in the groups up in, in the Schomburg area, and uh, so... I, I had these letters and I had my AA books and I had my readings and I was ill and you know, everybody says well it's dry country well that's baloney <laughs> <laughs> there's lots of booze there too <laughs> uh, okay anyhow uh, uh I had to come home and pick up Mary. I was over there alone for a while, and I had to come home and pick up Mary. And the day before I was to come home, I got a phone call. In fact, I got a letter that day from New York saying that they had found another AA in Abu Dhabi, and his name was so-and-so, and and his phone number was so-and-so, and and his address was so-and-so. And then they sent him a letter the same way, and he called me. I went over, met him, went over, and we sat from about seven o'clock in the evening till three o'clock in the morning. To the deck, and so I left the next night for home. And uh, he said he'd meet the airplane when he came, when he came home. Came back. Now the airplanes arrived at two o'clock in the morning, so he he met me uh, the next and came back six weeks later. Um, Dez and I started an AA meeting over there. And uh, we, we call it the Al-Name group, which is Arabic for uh, Monday night group. And uh, they understand they now meet on Wednesdays. But <laughs> 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 uh, so it's still going from all I can understand. I don't have any contact where anybody goes to me meeting or anything like that. But I do know that while we were there, we had uh, three or four people uh, that we, uh, one we worked with, another couple we, we uh, helped, uh, you know, and I have been in contact with uh, one guy from India, and is from from uh, Ireland, ever since I am in the program. We, this year is the first year I haven't heard from either one of them at Christmas time, so I hope they're still well. <coughs> but, um... A.A. is everywhere, and the fellowship and the uh, general service office it serves a real good purpose, you know, getting it to guys like me, and, uh, who, and there's a lot of loners out there who have no way of getting to an A.A. meeting, and yet they stay sober. So, you know, it's not just getting to A.A. meetings that makes it sober. It's working the program that makes it sober. And uh, we can do that without the means, but boy, the means are one hell of a help. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, got all these notes. I don't think I said half of what's on here. Uh, I usually close my meeting with uh, suggestions that I got from uh, Lindome. And I have, uh, to the best of my ability, which is not perfect, tried to work these suggestions. I have regular hours for rising and retiring. Use a prayer and meditation book or a 24 hour book of confidence in God. Eat regular meals. Take a.m. and p.m. breaks. Have daily contact with an A.A. member. Read two pages from the big book daily. Now, I tried to do that. Never was very successful. I'd get into the book and I'd read three or four chapters and then put it on the shelf and then come back to it for six months. So, I mean, I'm still learning. Contact A.A. when I out of town. Concentrate on today's problems only. Make frequent use of serenity prayer. Attend the church of your choice at least once a week. Take daily inventory. Do a good turn for someone each day. Remember, AA begins at home. Be thoughtful. Attend meetings at least twice a week. Learn and live the 12 steps. At bedtime, say a prayer of thanks for another day's sobriety. And on the blackboard, there was a big sign that said, Prayer Changes Things. And small letters at the bottom said, Even Me. (laughs) I have made made copies of that if anybody's interested in putting it in their 24 hour book. Um, I've had a lot of help over the years. A a couple of things I want to mention. for a while, I was uh, going out to uh, maximum security in Westville uh, talking to the uh, inmates there at in, in the AA meeting. And John Schaefer, who we heard earlier talked about, heard about it. And he says, you're not going out there alone, are you, I, Yeah. Says, I'll go out with you. So for several weeks, John used to come by and pick me up and we'd go out there. And uh, he was one of the Stalwarts of the program that I thoroughly uh, admired because he really worked his program. Um, when I became active as a DCM, uh, a couple of times I would asked John to go with me to the meetings in Indianapolis. And uh, some of the stories he told me about uh, how in the early days the black people had trouble finding the blockage, eat on the way to a meeting, and trouble. Finding a place to have meetings, and it makes me think, boy, I was luckier than hell, you know, Mm -hmm. because I didn't have any trouble. The trouble was all with me. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then there was several other people in the black community that uh, Henry Johnson, I knew not too well, but I knew him, and uh, of course Marcel. uh, I can't even remember his name anymore. I got PM tonight. Don't ask me where I was tonight, you know. uh, And I don't think I got anything else that's going to confuse you anymore than I have it now, so uh, I I, I do hope that if anybody's new here, uh, give this program a real try you know try it the best of your ability you know you can't do it the way to cross the guy across the table does it. you yeah. have to do it your way and you're going to find your way if you put your trust in God and he, he will. will help you if you ask him now you won't if you don't ask him so when you need to ask God for help and I think that's the same around the program they're not going to help you unless you ask them but if you ask somebody for help boy you're going to get it I think I've said enough for today and thanks so much for being here for me and I really appreciate seeing so many great friends.